Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cyberate.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cyberate Podcast, we sit down with Davis Hake, the co-founder and VP of Business Development for Arceo. Speaking with myself, Thomas Horlocker, the head of creative services for Cyberate, Davis gives me his thoughts on the current talent gap facing the cybersecurity industry. All right. Well, we are here at RSA 2020. I am sitting down with Davis Haig from Arceo. Uh, he is the co-founder and head of business development. How are you doing today, Davis? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for uh, being on the show. So um, today we're kind of talking about with the theme of RSA this year being the human element, um, speaking about the talent and skills gap facing the industry. Um, so you have actually had some uh, history in this uh, working at the um, you were involved with the Homeland Security Cyber Skills Gap, um, so just kind of getting your thoughts on you know what you've seen over the years and you know what what is kind of happening. Yeah, thanks very much. This has been an issue that that policymakers have been dealing with actually since uh, you know we we really started thinking of cybersecurity as its whole separate policy issue. Um, my old boss on Capitol Hill, Congressman James Langevin, uh, was deeply concerned about the cyber skills gap mm-hmm. going all the way back to uh, 2017 and, and hearings he held in, in 2009. Uh, we have done a lot on the um, government side to, to try and encourage and grow a larger pool. You know, the, the government can't pay uh, as much as the private sector can, so they are particularly vulnerable to the cyber skills gap. We have a very cool mission back in the government, mm-hmm. so we uh, end up with a lot of people that were very mission-driven. And we were a bit lucky in that, that we were able to get some initial language and funding around hiring authorities. Uh, specifically, the NSA was able to provide some unique authorities for bringing people on quickly, bringing on people with special talent, and, and being able to hold on to them by paying them higher. Yeah. We worked to get those special authorities over to Homeland Security as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, what we still found is that, that hiring these top people uh, was not enough. And so the military underwent a great initiative uh, when they stood up the Cyber Command Mm -hmm. to look at, you know, where where can we source talent and had a real initiative to look at and say, you know, rather than going out and hiring hackers, uh, can we grow security experts? Right. And, uh, you know, one of my co-founders, Vishal, is a a great example of this where, you know, he came into the Air Force Academy. uh, They trained him up uh, with a bachelor's of science mathematics. Mm -hmm. And then when he was in the Air Force, actually went to Virginia Tech and specialized in uh, cybersecurity and IT security. And now, uh, you know, he did deployment operations overseas, uh, served his country and has been a successful tech entrepreneur coming out of this. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so we were talking about earlier, I mean, what role do you think AI machine learning has had in closing the skills gap? Yeah, I think that it's really exciting around the defensive side where we can use uh, machine learning to spot trends and patterns, but really up-level a lot of the data for human analysis. I think like I remember, you know, over the past uh, 10 years when we started dealing with this issue from the classified side, we would see some very advanced teams uh, working for months to develop uh, attacks that would come at us that were uh, pretty sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had larger breaches like like OPM pay for that. 
Uh, but you know, now today, that same type of capability that we saw took months and a nation state to do is largely packaged and available off the shelf. I think when you look at some of the more recent strains of ransomware that are more automated, uh, or even some of the former uh, DDoS toolkits that came actually with call centers, you know, you're really looking at things where it's just running a simple script to launch something that would have been considered a digital weapon, you know, five or ten years ago. So I think if the attackers are automating their capability, mm-hmm. we absolutely absolutely need to use the same type of capabilities to automate our defense. Yeah, I mean, it's strange to, to think that something, yeah, even five years ago would take, you know, a nation state or somebody uh, like that to um, to develop and then employ. But now it's somebody who might not have any previous knowledge or anything who just runs a script and can take care of the exact same thing or do the exact same thing. Um, it's strange that, you know, in that short amount of time, I mean, five years is relatively short, although in technology, it's a long time that, you know, that has happened so quickly. Yeah. Um, Case in point, I'm a congressional staffer, political science major. Uh, I learned how to be dangerous enough with basic, uh, the basic SANS 401 course and watching some of your programs on Cyberary, actually, oh. uh, to, to make myself what I consider a dangerous script kitty yeah. if the digital <laughs> war ever, uh, ever broke out. But we've actually, we make um, our underwriting staff, too, go through these technical training training programs, get some hands-on experience with some of the defensive tools, some of the penetration test uh, kits, make them, you know, learn how to install um, Kali Linux and and actually use some of these tools to get an appreciation for it. Because they are so accessible and there's nothing that teaches better other than hands-on actually digging in with these tools and doing it for yourself. Yeah, hands-on is definitely, uh, definitely a way to go. It kind of, it helps you just kind of learn those skills and develop them as you go. I mean, speaking on the rise of automation, um, do you think that has the rise of automation has led to the gap actually widening? So you usually need less people because things are being automated, but those now those less people that you need have to be experts. They have to understand what the automation is doing, um, how it works, and then how to secure it. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's interesting too, like securing the systems that we're putting higher trust into is a big interest as well. Uh, you know, uh, we, there were some great talks at Black Hat this year. Uh, this past year about um, how do you fool uh, machine learning models and how do you interject potentially malicious code to get them to tilt towards what you want them to tilt towards. It's a famous example of the driverless cars stopping when you put a sticker on a sign and making it think it's a a stop sign. but beyond just the security of these systems we're setting up and, and, and around the people, you know, I, I actually think there's a positive development here. And it, it's a little bit in that, like, everybody has to become a data scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, our, our data science team uh, hates the term data scientist uh, because they feel like it's become so cliche. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually talk to them, and I think that that's a positive trend, is that if everybody is being trained to look at empirical data, uh, try to understand uh, patterns or consequences or outcomes from it, and then apply that logical data-backed approach to solving problems, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to me, that, that's the heart of what a data scientist does. And if we can all learn to you know, better understand and use data, uh, I think that's actually a positive trend. Yeah. I would much rather have us thinking about the hard problems and the strategy rather than sitting at a screen and, and trying to spot anomalous attacks mm-hmm. uh, in a dark room day after day yeah. after day. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants. They do it, but yeah. nobody wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, kind of what you're talking about is like trying to skill up, you know, your entire team, make sure maybe that everybody has a little bit of data scientists in them. I mean, is that something that you're seeing that other companies are starting to do where maybe they're bringing on people of uh, a lesser talent or might not be 
um, as skilled up as they like, bringing them on um, as more of a junior level and then skilling them up maybe to fit a specific role instead of looking for somebody who has maybe the skills that fit, you know, that niche little role that they're looking for. Yeah. You know, we talk to a lot of CISOs and actually currently this is a trend that actually bothers them because mm -hmm. they do feel like uh, the only security people oftentimes they can hire for a reasonable rate are relatively junior. They spend, you know, a year and a half or so, sometimes even like eight months getting their chops, being trained up, working in a SOC, and then they take a salary for a significant percentage more at someplace else, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously, that's a concern. But I think, you know, even around the, the training or structure you mentioned, this was an issue that, that we looked to tackle at Homeland Security um, under Rene Flournoy, actually, uh, who's a, a good friend of mine and really led and drove an initiative called NICE. And the idea behind NICE was to try and catalog different cybersecurity skill sets and roles so that you're actually putting a taxonomy around, uh, you know, what makes a threat researcher, uh, what makes a SOC officer. Um, and then saying, can we, if we define these different roles and, and these different skills, can we target those areas for training? Can we target those areas for career growth mm -hmm. and really start to bring a structure to the cybersecurity field? Uh, that, that previously, you know, we were just looking for, you know, quote unquote, anyone who's a hacker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to think, I mean, what are some kind of, it's always, everybody's always asked, you know, how do we close the skills gap? What should we do? I mean, there's a, a lot of high level answers and things that uh, people think should be done. But I mean, I feel like there are kind of some lesser things that can slowly start to help. I mean, is there anything kind of that you think of that we should start doing or people should start doing. I mean, I, I always think that we should start learning coding and stuff in school. Uh, you know, as young as like probably middle school is probably like the right age to start kind of skilling people up. But I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Or what do you think are some things that we can do? Yeah. Well, you know, right off the bat, we're really only targeting uh, a small percentage of our available talent pool. Uh, we don't do enough in the security industry to encourage uh, women or people of color from participating and taking these jobs. And I think, you know, the immediate the way to do this is expand the talent pool, uh, start encouraging other folks uh, in those areas, uh, either women or people of color, to start looking at these training programs, getting them into these. I'm a, a daughter of a, a father of a three-year-old girl in the Bay Area. And I mean, she's already, I can tell, prone towards uh, robots and coding games. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be pretty dangerous when she's a teenager. But, you know, I do think as a parent myself, uh, and I am going to focus on uh, thinking of coding as a as a second language, mm -hmm. and I I think similar to you know growing up taking French or Spanish, people should learn Python right as they're growing up just to have some form of digital literacy. Because going back to the data science role, there is going to be very few professional jobs in the future that don't require some ability to understand or utilize machine learning models and automation. Yeah. I mean, kind of what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, five years ago, things that took a nation state to do now, somebody can do with the script. I mean, in five years from now, what is going to be the next thing that we're all worried about? What's the next attack that's going to be coming and who's going to, is anybody going to be able to do that? And who are we going to have then to be able to defend against that? Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned it earlier and it, it is the thing that keeps me up at night in the longer term is that we are trusting more and more in machine learning models. These models are black boxes by definition. Mm -hmm. uh, they are thus prone to a lack of visibility. And we've seen that the really only best defense in the security industry uh, is visibility, peer review, 
I mean, I, I, coming from the government, uh, I'm a firm believer that there are no secrets anymore uh, and that the only way the best defense is transparency and strength, right? Uh, I think the, the rise in popularity of bug bounty programs has been a great thing for the security industry, not just from a defensive viewpoint, but helping us understand the policy that, hey, uh, testing these systems through peer review is the best way to find their security. If machine learning models, uh, you know, by their nature are a bit of a black box, uh, it's going to be harder to tell if somebody has injected some form of uh, malicious code or trained them to operate in a way that is outside of their parameters. And as we look at machine learning becoming more and more bespoke towards uh, individual companies, I mean, you can imagine a world in, in five years where, you know, you're a small business and you want to create your own Amazon marketplace, but for, you know, your own services. So somebody builds you a basic machine learning model trained off of other people's data. Mm -hmm. How do you then trust that? And if all of the, everybody's using all of these models, how do we trust that they're operating normally when we don't really know what normal is? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything is changing so quickly and it's only going to get more and more complex. Um, which hopefully doesn't further the skills gap as, you know, you're going to need more professionals who know specifically those things of what we were talking about earlier. It's, you know, you don't need somebody who knows how to do everything. You just might need to know how to use certain tools or certain aspects of the tools to actually do, you know, a job or a position or something like that. So hopefully I think that's what we start seeing towards is that, you know, it's you really just have to know certain things and not have a, a giant skill. You don't need all, you know, all of the certifications. Maybe you only need one or two or something like that. That's right. And identifying individuals that have verified that they can do those skills is the hardest part. I mean, someone puts something down on their resume. You don't know even giving them a quick a little exercise if they can actually do the job well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting, uh, you know, with your guys's recent move towards, you know, providing that, that sort of cybersecurity talent pool, it'd be very interesting to kind of have places you can go with people that have demonstrated their skills uh, and demonstrated a strong background that yeah. you can instantly put into those spots. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue, you know, <laughs> that you brought it up that, you know, now, I mean, we just um, are releasing it at RSA uh, this year, um, our new kind of talent pool that you were talking about so that, you know, people on the platform would be able to show that they have these skills, which backed and verified by Cyber that, you know, you past these assessment assessments you actually do have these actual skills so that an employer somebody going through and recruiting from the site would be able to know like oh this is actually real data you know you don't get to one of those technical interviews and start going through some questions and the person that has been through you know three four phone interviews you find out like oh, this person isn't going to work out so yeah i mean we're hoping to kind of um yeah help, help in that aspect that you know we'll be able to help at least verify some people so that's the, 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 my free pitch for uh, Cyberary yeah. since you guys, uh, I've directed so many people towards your free content online. Uh, it's only fair to say that I think it's a great platform. Well, thank you. Um, and, you know, really getting the training out there, democratizing this type of training, mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, with experts uh, leading those, those classes too. Uh, it's so critical, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, the... Not everybody has to go to a major institution to, to learn these skills. And sometimes like practical skills and frankly experience is, is much more important than security. Um, so, it, you know, I think like getting people access to that content is critical. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a big uh, notion when Cyber was first created is, you know, just getting people the access to it because a lot of people, you know, don't have the ability uh, to go to a four year school or sometimes if, you know, you're already in a role or something like that to go to a one week course that's in a different state. You got to pay to get there. You got to take time off work for all that stuff. Um, so it's nice to, you know, be able to actually kind of provide that. And, you know, as we're moving forward, I mean, you kind of touched on, um, you know, you don't 
less roles are needing like a four-year degree. Is that something that you're seeing companies start kind of catching on to? And maybe, I mean, there's certain roles that you definitely need a degree for, but there's other ones that like you can kind of get by without having one as long as you have the skills needed for that particular role or a company at the time. Yeah, I'm, you know, so we've got uh, a startup in the cyber insurance space. It's unique. We're looking for security experts and insurance experts. I don't think we've looked at anybody's college or, or transcript. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, our head of data science has, has a PhD and the co-founder and I have, have advanced degrees. But, you know, we certainly uh, are not basing the same decisions upon like what we did in the government where you have to have minimum qualifications, XXX. Here it's, you know, can you do the job and can you do it quickly and efficiently? Yeah. Um, and especially in San Francisco where hiring is insanely competitive and expensive, you know, we, we much rather care about somebody joining the team that can do the job than somebody with a, 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 a fancy degree or, or background. Learning. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully things are kind of starting to take the turn that way where, um, you know, like we said, I mean, some jobs you're going to need that degree, but other jobs, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, you just need the skills, you know, needed to do that particular role. Um, well, thank you, Davis. I mean, do you have any closing thoughts or anything uh, about RSA or um, anything going on at um, RSA that you'd like to shout out? Yeah, we, we're really excited uh, to be launching our, our own security service offering uh, here now at RSA. Uh, we're going to be acting essentially as a concierge for access to our insurance policy and uh, the other vendors that support us as well, too. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to, you know, the human side of this. Um, you know, the it's important to have uh, strong analytics help with your decision making, uh, but having a human who you can touch and, and uh, bring you through the process, especially when you're dealing with a cybersecurity breach or incident, mm -hmm. and someone who's done that thousands of times before yeah. uh, is critical to be able to get it right. Uh, and that's our philosophy, and, and it's cool to see the industry figure out how to adapt strong experience with, you know, best-in-class analytics backed up by, mm -hmm. by real data science. Um, so I'm actually positive in how the, the trends of security industry is going. Uh, it's cool to see RSA put a bit more focus on that than just sort of the traditional vendor pitches that have been in the years past. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time and speaking with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.